I want to start us by sharing our passage of Scripture together. I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And it's always a privilege to read God's Word together. And I hate to do this, but I'm actually going to ask us to stand again, because I think out of reverence of God's Word, I would like us to stand together. Uh, that's not always the tradition in, in certain churches, but let's do this together. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I love this passage of scripture. The reason I love it because I believe it gives us a picture of the church. Not just in the time of the early church, but I believe it gives us a picture of the church that we are to be living today. And interestingly enough, I can't imagine having gone through the year that we just went through without being part of Christ's body, which is the church. And think of how difficult it has been for us trying to gather. Uh, yes, we have done things that we've never done before. Uh, gathering through Zoom. I remember multiple times preaching this past year where I was on my camera in Avon, Connecticut, preaching to a congregation distributed in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I'll tell you how strange that was, especially when you really can't see the people that are on the other end. You know, because the camera may be pointed at a wall or the floor or something else, but yet we were connected as God's people. And what a beautiful thing that is. Now this morning we, we sang this, this verse and I'm going to just read it again because I think it, it describes aptly what we've just gone through. And I believe it points us to the sovereignty of God that in spite of all the evil that we see and maybe have experienced, he indeed is sovereign. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Now, those of us who follow Christ, we know that in this world, we're not going to experience fully the glory of God. It's yet that when we are transformed, when we see him in glory, that's when we begin to be, experience perfection. And so there are trials, there are tribulations, there are difficulties, there's death, there's destruction in this life. Yet, the hope we have as Christians is because of the gospel. 
And that's why we gather here today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. And as I prayed with the worship team earlier, we do reflect in the glory and the majesty of your creation. We thank you for this day, the beauty and the majesty of it. We thank you that we can come and gather as your people and offer our gifts of praise to you. Father, I pray that as I open the word this morning, that you would take these feeble words and use them to equip us as your children so that we would be better in serving you in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you I know, some of you I don't know, just a little bit about me. My name is Tim Ponsani. As uh, my uh, uh, non-Italian family members pronounce it, we Americanized our name. My wife actually pronounces it better than I do. We say Ponzani, she says Ponzani. So my wife Sharon is sitting up in the back there. Uh, we've been married 32 years. We have two adult children. Uh, Colin, who is now married, his wife Kylie, they live in the Boston area, and our daughter Caitlin as well, she lives in the Boston area, both out of the nest, and we are learning what it means to be empty nesters. Uh, I, we, we live in the Farmington Valley, we just live down the street here in Avon. I was the executive pastor at Valley Community Baptist for 14 years, and then for the last two and a half years I serve uh, the network of churches that Valley is part of, it's called Converge. In the old days, it used to be called the Baptist General Conference. And we are a network of roughly 100 congregations in the Northeast. And so I get the opportunity to serve the local church. And really what I do is I come alongside pastors and elders and leaders and help them discern how best they can serve their communities. And so that together, we want to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus Christ. And Matt is a good friend of mine. Uh, we've worked together, uh, talked together for several years, really, since he came to uh, the Covenant Presbyterian. I almost said the barn. I know that I'm not sure what you're, you're, how you refer to yourselves, but uh, we are good friends. And I love what he's doing here. And I love what God is doing through you, his people. And so it's my privilege to be with you today to open God's word. So when you think of the church, what comes to mind? And, and often we have, we have differing opinions and viewpoints of what constitutes the church. And I think that's why we have to go back to scripture and look at the example that we see here. And I think as we look at this, uh, this particular passage, now more than ever, we need strong local churches. And I believe this with all of my heart that I believe the church and the gospel as is expressed through his body is the only answer in this world. It's not in politics, it's not in people, but it's the gospel. And that's where we need to place our hope and our trust. When the local church and its members are doing the things that we'll see in this passage today, I believe that there's relational and spiritual health and I believe that, that the healthy, gospel-proclaiming churches are the answer. Not a answer, but the answer. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to reflect on a few points that are, uh, that are emphasized here. And the reality is, 
each one of these points could be one sermon. And so I'll ask your indulgence or forgiveness right up front, uh, because I may lean into one of the points more than the other uh, as the Holy Spirit guides, but all of them are vital. And so one of the things I encourage people to do is, is examine your, the scripture. Listen to what I'm saying. Go more deeply into one of the points or the other. And really reflect, pray, respond to how God is guiding you as you hear the word today. The context of this passage, it takes place after Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, thank you Lord, and his ascension into heaven. And the Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost and, and indwelt the people there. And then we have Peter's great sermon just before we see this particular passage take place. But one other point I think is, is often we miss is that God's people were gathering daily in the temple courts. And so they were worshiping together corporately every day. Can you imagine that? That together they come together for worship. Now, in our culture, we don't often have time for that. Now, we, we, we prescribe that worship happens as a, as a body, typically one day of the week. But I want to put out there that I think there are ways that we can worship together, together more than just once a week. And I would encourage that. So let's dig into this a little bit. And I'm going to give you all three points of my sermon right up front. So you can leave if you want to. Well, I hope you don't. But here they are. A healthy church is upward focused, first and foremost. A healthy church is inward focused. And a healthy church is outward focused. Now, I'll also say this up front. These are not either or propositions. They're all of the above. So please keep that in mind as we walk through these three points. First, a healthy church is upward focused. In verse 42, it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, in this context, it was referring to the Lord's table. And so if you think about this, when they gathered together, they affect celebrated the Lord's table every time they were together. They celebrated the fact of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the meaning of that memorial meal. So, a healthy church is upward-focused in its worship. And the fact that, as I mentioned, that the early believers met in the temple courts was that worship played an incredibly huge part of the life of the early church. But I don't want to miss the outcome that's talked about here in verse 43. It says that awe came upon every soul. Let me ask you this question. When you come to worship God, what is your posture? There are two words I want to use when it comes to worship. It's posture, and an older word that we don't use very often, it's called comportment. So what is our posture when we come to worship? What is our attitude? What are we thinking? Now, I know that we bring many cares and things with us, burdens that, that affect us throughout the week. But thinking about this place uh, and the beauty of it, I can't help but listen to the stream back here. 
And, that, and, and almost hear the quiet voice of God, not my voice, as we sit and worship together. Just listen to God's creation. And I think, think too hard on that, I'll be moved to tears because of the majesty and the awe that this inspires. Is that our attitude when we come into worship? Is that our posture? Is that our comportment? I want you to think about that and ponder that. Oftentimes we get caught up in meeting world famous people. Imagine, I'll try to use a safe world figure. Imagine the Queen of England is standing here. What would your posture be? How much more so should our posture be one of reverence and awe? In fact, knowing that we are meeting the Almighty God, every one of us should be flat on our face. But yet we don't think about that, do we? I know I, I, I don't. I get caught up on, sometimes in my role, um, I get hung up on certain things that as I'm helping to assess churches and situations, I walk into a worship uh, experience and I think, okay, that, that, that carpet is dirty. That word is misspelled. The vocals are, you know, it, so it, it totally takes me off of what my focus should be and that's on the God, the supreme being of the universe. So as you can tell, you get hung, get, get hung up on any one of these points. Worship is vital. The early believers felt it was so vital that they should do it all the time, every time they met together. I think another attitude we have is we think of the consumeristic view that often we have towards worship. Well, that music doesn't quite fit what I like. And I'm thrilled to see that you do, or hear that you do a mix, right? You do ancient hymns, you do modern singing. The style doesn't matter. But what is the attitude of our hearts? What is the posture of our bodies as we come to worship? Can we put aside our wants, our needs, our hang-ups, to be able to worship Almighty God. I want to read Isaiah chapter 6, and this is a passage that may be familiar to us, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I want us to think about us as Isaiah. When we encounter Almighty God, we can see his posture as we read these words together. 
What is your posture when you come to worship? We must have the sense of the greatness and the majesty of God. We must come to worship in joy and reverence. Well, there's a second aspect of an upward healthy church, and that's healthy prayer. In this passage, there is the definite use of a definite article in front of the word prayer and the prayers. Now, that may seem insignificant to you, but it's actually not. And what this indicates is that prayers were a formal part of worship. Now, as part of your liturgy, you have prayers. You may or may not be amazed how in many churches, prayer, corporate prayer, gathered prayer, is not part of the ministry. Yet we see here how vital prayer was in the life of the early church. Later in Acts chapter 4, we see the believers praying for boldness after Peter and John had been released from prison. Verse 24 says, they lifted their voices together to God. Verse 30, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God in boldness. Over time, prayers in the church in some traditions have become formalized and wrote. I remember as a kid, the first prayer I learned, and it was awesome that you used the Lord's Prayer as a guide for our time together. You didn't just pray the Lord's Prayer. You used it as a takeoff for deeper prayer. And I remember my dad kneeling with me beside my bed, and I learned the Lord's Prayer. And after a time, I think I began to just pray it in about 10 seconds. And when that happened, my dad did a very beautiful thing. He said, okay, Tim, it's time for you to learn how to pray on your own. And he began to teach me what prayer was. And I wasn't just reading a prayer or reciting something, but he helped me to understand, even as a child, how to pray and how to pray appropriately. So prayer is not just something that's formulaic. When I'm in trouble, when I need something. But prayer is something more deep, whether as individuals or corporately together. And I want to encourage you to continue in your prayer life together as a body. Prayer is what I call an incredible aligning activity. And an example of this is that when I served as the XP at Valley, uh, really the chief of staff, we had a, a staff prayer time. And uh, uh, I won't go into the details of all of that, but, but uh, we, we incorporated our staff prayer into our staff meetings. Kind of makes sense, right? Well, and in, in I had a prescribed time. You know, we would uh, maybe spend about 10, 15 minutes in prayer, and then we'd get on to my, my agenda. But I really got convicted about that. And, and it really, it began to say, okay, we really want to go deeply into prayer. We actually need to go deeply into prayer and spend appropriate time. And so we had generally 10 to 12 was, was staff meeting time. And, and, you know, this is hard for me because I like control. I like the agenda. I like my stuff. And I just let it go. And I just allowed us to pray. And sometimes it was... 15 minutes, sometimes it was 45 minutes, sometimes it was 
almost the entire two hours. But God did an amazing thing. Shouldn't be surprised. That when I'd pull out the agenda that I had crafted, focus on I, the agenda that, that God wanted was something very different. And so I'd take a look at the things on there. I'm going, okay, we don't need to talk about that. And we don't need to talk about that. But the prayer time helped us align with where God actually wanted us to go. And so, in fact, he used that time by his spirit to recraft the agenda that we are going to focus on. So think about that idea of prayer and that how has a body of Christ here at Covenant Presbyterian, you can be aligned with what the Holy Spirit wants for you, your life, and your church. So one final thought about prayer and worship. When we come together as a body on Sunday, typically, now we learned that this can be together, physically, or virtually. We should view this time as merely a culmination of that which we have been doing throughout the week. So I don't want to point you out, but if, if this is the only time that you are spending to worship and pray. I hope that's not the case. It's good, but it becomes greater when you spend time each day, whether that's in individually or as a family, spending time in God's word, spending time worshiping together. Now, does it need to be big and fancy? Of course not. It could be 5, 10, 15 minutes but you're gathered together, focusing on the Lord, lifting praise to him. Think how much more he prepares you for coming to this place than to unite together and worship. So now my second point, a healthy church is inward focused. You may say, well, wow, Tim, that sounds pretty selfish. Inward focused? Let me explain. A couple of points that are brought through in here. Again, another two aspects. First is healthy discipleship. The key passage here is again in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Early believers acknowledged that, that Jesus had appointed the apostles as teachers and the people submitted to their authority. Now the image we often have is that, that of people sitting at the feet of the apostles. Uh, now, I think the, the idea that's given here is one of devotion. You know, the word is used, devotion. What does that mean when you're fully devoted to something? Other words come to mind. Allegiance, fealty, fidelity. And so the key question, what does that look like today? What does that look like for you of, of, of true discipleship? And, and I want to be careful because it can look different for different people. But here's what I do know. I do know that healthy, growing churches have in place ways that as men and women, youth and children, are being filled with the knowledge of the Word of God, but also they're in environments where that knowledge can be learned and expressed. There is a difference between acquiring knowledge 
in true learning. Learning is where you begin to apply and live out. And, and those who know me know, know that I, I love acquiring knowledge. Last summer, I spent time reading a book on the Plantagenets. You know who the Plantagenets are? That was once a ruling house of England in the Middle Ages. Richard the Lionheart, he's from the Plantagenet household. I love medieval history. What good does that do me? Well, I like to think, well, it teaches leadership lessons. Well, I just like acquiring knowledge. So when we look at God's word, it's more than just learning the stories. Those are great. And I encourage us to dig into God's word. But we want to dig deeply, men with men, women with women, that we're challenging one another. I meet every uh, Friday morning with three other guys. And these are peers. They're not, it's not a group that any one of us leads, but we're meeting together as peers, and then we're digging into God's word together. We're praying together. We're wrestling with it together, and we're applying it in our lives together. What does that look like for you? What environments are you in so that you're acquiring the word of God, you're putting it in your heart, but then you're living it out so that you and others around you are transformed by God's word? There's a second aspect of the inward healthy church, and that's care. Acts 4, 34 and 35 is another passage that brings this out. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to any that had need. The word here we, we often bring out is the word koinonia. And sometimes we just simply translate that as Community. We're just having community together. But scripturally, it means something way more. Yes, it is true. We come together. We have community. But in the spiritual sense of this word, it's that we are genuinely concerned about not just the physical well-being, but the emotional and the spiritual well-being of all of God's people. That's what true koinonia is. So what does this look like here today? What does it look like in a country that has uh, incredible affluence? How are we sharing in those needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually? When you see one another, are you genuinely concerned about the spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being of one another? And how might that happen? And I don't know how that happens here. I don't know, is it positive, is it not? But I do know this, that how we care for one another, how we interact with one another, how we speak with one another, that's observable behavior. Not only within the church, 
but to those outside the church who are observing us. Side note, I've been spending a lot of time in Colossians 3. And, and it's happened one day, I was just kind of, I'm doing a read through the Bible plan. And I landed on Colossians 3 and I haven't actually left there in about a month. Because I'm just wrestling with it. And in that passage, it talks about set your minds on things above. Set your heart on things above. And then Paul goes on in that passage to list behaviors. I call it the putting off and the putting on. And, and if you read through those lists, there's some tough behaviors. Yeah, they're the ones that, you know, the sexual immorality, things like that. There's one, okay, well, I don't do that. But, but then it goes on to say, have some behaviors of how we speak with one another and how we treat one another. And then he goes on to describe the behaviors we are to put on. And in that passage, it's another listing of the fruit of the Spirit. And so in the church as we care for one another, as we are with one another, what behaviors are we putting off? What behaviors are we putting on? Because the world is watching us. Again, this image of the the early believers meeting in the temple courts, people could observe. Non-believers could observe what was going on. Well, we don't see others that are not part of this community observing us here today. But trust me, they are. Trust me, they're observing how you carry yourself, your posture, your comportment. And if I talk too long about this, I myself will get convicted because I don't always carry the behaviors that I should. John Stott, one of my favorite pastor theologian says it this way our God is a generous God grace is another word for generosity and if our God is a generous God we must be generous too I would like to see more generosity more simplicity more contentment in the Christian community it would be a great witness to the rest of the world So a healthy church is upward focused in its worship and prayer. A healthy church is inward focused in its discipleship and care. Yep, and you got it. The last is a healthy church is outward focused in the full expression of evangelism. So let's dig into this. Worship, prayer, learning, and care can all occur with the cocoon of the local church. And if that's all we do, again, think of balance, healthy balance. We are too introspective, too self-centered, and too self-serving. And it's when we get to verse 47 in this passage that we see the church's mission to the world. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I want to emphasize this point. It's very important that it's not the people who added but the Lord added. Now, he used his people. He uses us as his people. But the Lord, ostensibly, is the one who adds. Now, does this mean we don't have responsibility? Of course not. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we often tend to differentiate between local evangelism and world evangelism. And I want to challenge that because now let me share Acts 1.8 with you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I overemphasize the word and. Why did I do that? Because it isn't or. When we think of evangelization, it's the full expression of the advancement of the gospel near and far. Our responsibility as believers is as individuals that we are to share the winsomeness of Christ with those that don't know him. And then as a church to be involved corporately in evangelistic activities near and far. And a healthy church is balanced in all of those areas. And so as God's people, as a church, I want to encourage you to think, what does that look like for us? Again, a number of questions I've given you to ponder as you go away from today. What does that look like? And I know that many of the churches I work with, it's out of balance. They're either introspective and they haven't seen a person come to Christ in many, 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 many years. I'm hoping to, as the, as the Spirit allows, to change that. So again, what does that look like today? Uh, even the nature of the church is changing. I've been part of churches where we've done large outreach type events where many, many, many people come. But increasingly today, those are less and less effective. Why? Because minimally, there is an indifference towards the church from our culture or at most antagonism towards the church. And so what does that mean for us? That means we need to take the church out. We are the church. That building is not the church. We are the church. And so how do we rub shoulders with people that we know, people that desperately need to know Jesus Christ? A couple of years ago, um, actually more than a couple years ago, uh, serving on the staff at Valley, it's easy to kind of get caught up in all the relationships being centered on the church, whether it's with other staff or friends or whatever. And I really got convicted about this. In fact, it was one of our, our team members, Mark Wolf, who many of you may know, that, that started coaching football at the high school here in Simsbury. And Mark and I were talking about that. And, and you know, again, we were okay with that. It's a great thing. And I'm like, wow, I wonder if I could do something like that. And in my background, I, I was a uh, high-level track and field guy. And so I went over to the high school. My son ran track at Avon High School. Wouldn't have been a good thing to do when he was there, but uh, been coaching my son. Hmm. Uh, it was probably being too intense. Uh, 
So I volunteered and, and until COVID hit, I was volunteering as a, a track coach with middle distance runners, anything from 800 meters to 1600 meters. That was my specialty. And, and so I was able to give my time and work a couple days a week with the, uh, doing specialized workouts with the kids. Well, that allowed me to get into the community. That allowed me to begin to rub shoulders. Again, there's only so much you can do with students, but particularly with other coaches and the parents, and they knew what I did. I didn't hide it. And so we would have some amazing conversations that really began to go deal towards spiritual things. So how are you involved in the civic life of where you live? Tim Keller asks a couple of questions, a series of questions. He talks about it this way in his book, Center Church. How do you bring the gospel to bear on the hearts of people around you? What does your town culture look like? How would you describe it? How are you involved in the life of your town? It can look differently. And what are the hard questions that people are asking in your town? So think about those questions. We must demonstrate the gospel in word and deed in our communities. So a question I always ask when I visit a church, would Simsbury miss you, miss this church, if you weren't here? And that could be a hard question. Would Simsbury miss you if you didn't exist? As I serve the movement of churches in the Northeast called Converge, my vision and desire for not just converged churches, but every gospel-centered church. You may or may not know this, but there are whole swaths of the Northeast that don't have a gospel presence that's reachable in a reasonable driving distance. That's community-centered. That's one of the beauties of this church. It's community-centered. So my vision is to help change that, whether it's working informally with you and your leadership, whether it's working formally with the network of churches that I represent, is seeing a gospel movement so that every city, every town, every rural area, every man, every woman, every child is transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And the reality is we need more churches, not less. I grew up in a, a town of 5,000 people in eastern Ohio. We had five gospel churches in a town of 5,000. That doesn't exist up here in the northeast. So we need more, not less. We don't need perfect churches because there aren't any. We need churches that love Jesus and want to see that message advanced. So a healthy church is upward focused in its worship and prayer. A healthy church is inward focused in its devotion to discipleship and care. And a healthy church is outward focused in the full expression 
of gospel advancement near and far. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And I, Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing with these people today. God, I pray that as we have looked into your word, that we would not just be hearers of it, but we would be doers. And that we would take the lessons from today and apply them individually and apply them corporately as we do your work and your will in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.